All right, welcome everybody to Send Over Liability. This is Fred Shankelberg. And I, as you know, and as you've probably noticed, I see lots of folks that are regulars uh, into these events. Uh, we like to start on time. And so let's get going. So I'm gonna talk about the mission, vision, and the business model for a Send Over Liability. It's a question I've received numerous times. And it's one that I, I sat back a couple weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago, and looked up what did we write down? What was the idea? Uh, and how consistent has that been since we've gotten it going? And so I wanted to, to share that and get a recording of it so I could use that on the site to help answer those questions in a, in a more thorough way. So let's dive right into it. If I can get my cursor to work. There we go. Uh, the mission, um, now I have, as many of you know, I have a military background and the mission was take Hill 42 or whichever objective we have. And a mission is often stated as a, a measurable, tangible thing that you want to achieve. And some are more tangible than others. Like if I, if the mission was to earn a million dollars, well, then you can measure that. Right? I don't know how much value it would be with inflation and so on, but it is what it is. Now, sometimes the missions are more subtle than that, and we'll get into that as we get into the presentation. The vision is, where are you going? What's the idea here? And I'm going to talk about what was the genesis of this whole thing, and what was the concept, and are we there yet, or are we on the way? to get achieving what we set out to achieve. And I'm not real sure about that. And, and that hopefully that'll become clear as we get into it. And then the other part that I, it was one of the first questions I got that kind of set me back on my heels a little bit was, well, what, what is this thing? You have this cool website, you have all this content, where's the business model? How do you make any money? Well, I, well, We'll get into that and what the idea is, but it's also, it wasn't something that was obvious right from the start, uh, what the business model was. And, and it wasn't overt. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the ways that were different than other organizations or other types of things that are out there. Um, and I'll get into what we do get paid for and, uh, and how that works into the, the way this site is set up and run. But uh, when I first set this out, I did mission, vision, and business model, and it kind of rolls off the tongue. And I've heard that phrase many times, the mission, vision type thing. Um, but I thought, you know, what comes first is the vision. What is it you're, what's the idea? So let's talk about that briefly as we get started. So the vision statement or what, the easiest way I've heard it described and, and have described it to other people is to help us as a community, as a large organization or a cohort or peers or uh, working professionals or whatever you wanna group us as, um, basically as reliability engineers or reliability 
reliability engineering managers, um, we have a role to play in the organizations that we support or work with or consult with. And part of that is to use the wide range of tools and activities that we encompass into reliability engineering in order to make a, a process or a product or whatever just work better, it, to work better over time, I should say, to be more reliable. And what I have found is that there are a range of different organizations that are trying to write books or create certifications or um, uh, characterize what it is we do, yet they, they tend not to move the ability of what we do in reliability engineering forward and, and to improve it. I also have found, and most of you know, that uh, MTBF has been around for far too long. And I have the, the no MTBF, uh, NO MTBF website um, that started really as a, um, well, somebody said I had a lot of interest in that, so I should make a website, so I did. But that still gets a lot of traffic. And the idea there is similar to what we're doing here is moving the art forward, helping people that are just getting started or are helping people maintain their edge or to encourage development and discussion of what we do in the, in the field of reliability engineering in the related fields. But the difference in the vision statement is that it's not just from one person's point of view or from one vendor's point of view or from one organization's point of view. The, the, basic underlying vision of this is that we all do better if we all contribute to it. If we all work well together, including with competitors, to improve the, the sharing of knowledge and improve the way we solve problems. And by doing so, it takes parts of what's really good about conferences and just keeps it ongoing, right? And, and we'll get into some, some of the differences between what we're doing here and other types of organizations. So one of the things, and I mentioned it earlier, is I, I do get this question is, what, do you, what is this site? What are you trying to do here? And it's, it's different. Well, one of the things I ran into was when I was with uh, ASQ and as a volunteer and, and in the reliability division, which now I believe is, is renamed the reliability and risk division, um, we tried to uh, share some information from, I think it was SMRP or there was a, a, some other paper or a conference that was coming up that would be of interest to the people in the division. And we were uh, chastised from the, the corporate-ish group, the, the central body uh, of ASQ saying, no, you can't advertise things that we don't offer, right? And I think it was a course or, or a conference or something like that. If we were sponsoring that conference or course, and we, would, we and ASQ would make money doing it, then it was okay to advertise it. 
But if I somebody called me and said, hey, I really want to learn about uh, data analysis. Well, we don't have a, a good data analysis class offered by ASQ, but I happen to know about this person that offers a really good course on it. Why don't you call them? And so we put it online. We, we were getting those kinds of questions pretty regularly. So we were, were promoting other solutions to people's problems and the answers to their questions and, and questions such as, where do I find a good book? Where do I find a good conference? What, for my circumstance, my situation, what's a good resource? And so we started sharing that information um, despite the adverse feedback from the, I'm using air quotes here, the organization. They didn't get it that if we help people um, they do a better job, right? And the most indirect way or direct way that we benefit is that our cars work, our phones work, our, our, our electrical grid systems work. If we help each other do the work of a reliability engineer in a meaningful, effective way, we all benefit. Now, that's a different benefit than what ASQ headquarters wanted. They wanted to see dollars in the till. And they're like, well, that's not the point. We're a bunch of volunteers. You're not paying us. We're trying to help our peers do a better job of what they do. And if we can help them answer questions or find the right resources for what they need, well, that's the idea. That's the vision here is, is why are we doing it? It's because organizations like professional societies, we're not doing that. And so that kind of got this concept going. Now, I, I've had some history with this. Uh, and when I was at Hewlett Packard and even before that, of working in peer groups or in, in uh, forums or discussion groups or you know, regular ad hoc meetings that we, we supported each other. And that sense of community, that sense of uh, having um, a, not just one person to go to, not a mentor, but a group of people to go to that you could trust their opinions. You could get good information from them. And it was not biased. It wasn't tainted by, well, the solution I'm going to give you is one that I make money on. So if we sh strip that away, that's where this vision comes from and how it, it takes more shape in, in, in a large degree. Now, what I was, and, and so I was telling the, the, one of the things we wanted to share uh, when I was at a, with the, the reliability division was that there's a whole lot of activities, calendar, there's a whole, oh, there's hundreds of conferences that are of interest to reliability professionals. There's hundreds, if not thousands of courses and seminars and workshops and, and uh, meetings of one sort or another. And so we started gathering that information and I had been gathering this kind of stuff for decades. Back when I was at Hewlett Packard, it was one of the roles I had was to be aware of and to be able to recommend uh, a good course or a good conference for somebody. And so ASQ created, had a website that had a really nice calendar function. And I thought, why don't we populate that with the activities that would be of benefit to anybody interested in reliability. Well, it happens that there was only like three conferences ASQ is involved in. 
And if we don't listed anything beyond that, it got deleted. They said, we, that's not one of our events. So we created our own website, reliabilitycalendar.org, I think we called it. Now it's part of Ascendo. And at one point, I haven't looked at it lately, I should probably pay more attention to who's contributing and how often, but at one point we had over 20 people contributing to the calendar from around the world, adding call for papers, adding conferences and courses, meetings, events, uh, workshops, pretty much anything that would be of interest to a reliability professional. And to this day, it's still alive and active and it's one of the most visited parts of the site. It's just a listing of what's going on. And it gives you a one spot stop to see what's going on. It doesn't cost anything. It, it takes a little bit of energy and effort to put together, but it saves you from having to subscribe to 47 different organizations or lists or whatever, or search and search and search and try to find the right thing that you want it. Well, trade magazines, they tend to advertise the ones that they're sponsoring, right? Or they get paid as an ad to list a, a conference or a, a workshop or a, a, an item. Some of them, not all, but some of them will do like news items. There's a, a press release of a conference coming up or a meeting coming up or something like that. And, but those are getting rarer and rarer. Usually the trade magazines are, I can't speak for them all because I don't subscribe to them all, but many of them will, will promote things that their advertisers are paying for or people pay them directly to put into their, their journal. Technical journals, they tend to stay academic. Um, sometimes they list openings at different universities or different companies. Some of those are paid position or paid um, uh, additions to the journals as a way to defer their cost. Um, but they don't tend to be uh, frequent enough or, or uh, current enough to keep track of everything that's going on. And it's not really their their primary uh, purpose is to do that. Professional societies and um, like ASQ and SMRP or IEEE or, or hand, there's dozens and dozens of that are out there um, over and over again. And it's not just ASQ because I've approached dozens of professional societies saying, hey, we'd love to, to share uh, what you got coming up, which on your calendar. And they're like, oh, that's great. That would be wonderful. Well, could you put a link back to us or would you promote our activities? Oh, no, we can't do that. We can't place anything on our site that's not ours. And it's been over and over and over again. And the same or very similar for, for professional services or vendors. Um, if I'm making a, a accelerometer, that's all I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to write articles about using the accelerometer. And by the way, we make one of these and you should buy it. And some of them are just straight over the top advertising all the way through. Now, some professional societies and some uh, companies do actually provide really good content. Right. And then they'll happen to have an advertisement or saying, hey, if you want to learn more, go here. And that's great. There's lots of good information out there, but it's scattered all over the place. Right. And 
different companies, depending on their uh, intent and content marketing, will will pay attention to it for a while or not, or they'll come and go. Recently, there's been a couple of organizations. Um, one is Reliability Connect, I believe that's the name of it. I should have written down the, the website. It's in Australia uh, based, but they're worldwide and they've built a pretty strong community uh, of reliability practitioners and, and they share, they have a variety of events and conferences and courses and all kinds of stuff. They do tend to promote their own material quite a bit, uh, but they do offer a lot of great information. The other one is, is hosted by Upkeep and they make a CMMS or um, uh, software package, but they have a community. I think they call it the maintenance community. And it's got a handful of really excellent contributors, people I know and respect greatly that share on a regular basis in webinars and conferences or web, not conferences, but webinars and workshops. And inside the community, it's not obvious that it's an advertisement at all. It, I mean, the logo is here and there, but it's not by any means in your face. It's actually a good sharing community and forum and discussions. And it's a good place to go ask questions, especially on the maintenance side of, of reliability work. Um, and it overlaps quite a bit with just pure maintenance activities, but it also gets into the reliability aspects of it quite a bit. Those are recent activities or recent uh, breakthroughs that I've noticed. I'm still looking for more and I'm happy to mention them because they are aligned with the vision that together we can actually do a better job. And so the, the trends I'm seeing is that the trade magazines are all about banner ads and ad placements. The professional societies are really want to have the return on whatever they promote. It's kind of frustrating to me, but that's what they do. And those organizations, even though they're similar in scope and nature or their vision of helping other people learn to trade, they tend to put uh, um, constraints on themselves that gives them either a conflict of interest or gives them a, a, a muted presence in, in able to help people find the appropriate solutions. So let me pause there for a second and look at the uh, uh, chat window. Um, I, even though this, the, the statement is really a simple statement, it uh, hopefully it comes across as, as what I'm really trying to say. And I, I'm not sure of how I could rephrase it. And, and Larry, you're exactly right. It's light a fire or spark, uh, initiate or ignite is uh, the Latin for, or uh, ascendo is Latin for. And, and that was very deliberate, is to help people continue to um, what's the right way? You, the site would provide illumination uh, on a range of different topics and ideas and concepts that are built into reliability. Okay. All right. So the mission, and this is usually, in my mind anyway, it's how you um, enact the vision. How do, how do we 
get towards creating this mission. Technically, it's supposed to be measurable. And there's all kinds of rules in the business world for how you write a mission statement, all those kinds of things. But let's see how mine holds up. There's two parts. One of them is to provide professional development material, is to help people answer questions. How do I set up an X bar, an S chart, an SPC? Or how do I analyze the stack of data? Or how do I make a comparison between two things? Or what's an appropriate way to assess a, a, a program? How do I make improvements to the program that we have? Um, what are techniques for failure analysis? Has anybody seen this kind of failure before? That kind of information, and it ranges from the very discrete, how does this piece of metal work in this environment? all the way through the, all the data analysis parts and statistics, all the way up to management and working with the C-suite and how do we work across supply chains and all of those other aspects of it. We also provide content that obviously is on risk management or in quality engineering or quality management. And we also do a little bit on safety. And, but they're all overlapping with what we do in the reliability world and reliability programs that we manage or operate or are a part of. But it's also a place for people to go to, well, how can I brush up my skills to improve my contribution and my career? How can I do better at what I'm doing so I'm more valuable in the marketplace? And how can I come up to speed quickly with, with what's going on in reliability? Well, Ascendo is really aimed at providing that kind of content. Now, the other half of this mission statement is to provide a platform, a, a spot for contributors, people that create content, that they find an audience that's already looking for them. And the idea is, is that um, in order to have content from many voices, which is part of that vision, then it needs to be a place where many voices can provide their content. And, and so it's a way for people to reach an audience. And for some people, it's a ready-made audience. It's already there and they find a welcome home. Others, they still have to build an audience because they're coming at it uh, in, a, in a more technical way. And then they're a little bit ahead of the, the common uh, visitor to the site, or they have a niche area like just metals and metal failure analysis. Um, it's fascinating. I love the imagery that comes out of that, those papers, but it's, if you're working in polymers, then it's not that relevant, but the techniques and the approaches that are used are certainly transferable. And so there is a wide spread of different content uh, contributors and, and some of them are overlapping. There's a handful of us that are all writing about SPC or data analysis, but from different points of view and different ways of breaking down a problem or, or moving forward with what we're trying to achieve. And the idea is, is it's not, there's not a, there's not a strict, um, this is what you have to write about. We're not creating a schedule of articles and saying, right, on Tuesday, you should write about this, or on Wednesday next month, we're going to all write about this. It's individual blogs or individual content and podcasters and so on 
that are creating their own content. And some will thrive better than others, depending on what their content is and how it resonates with the audience. But it's, and there's coaching and there's some, you know, a use, you know, more white space, add some uh, subhead errors, you know, imagery, things like that. We'll try to encourage people to write well for online. Um, but the idea is, is that it's a platform or a, a, a site that allows many, many different authors and contributors to, to contribute. And on the other side is it's freely available for folks to come find that content, the vast majority of that content. And so that's the mission is really two parts, provide good content, provide a platform. Now, the idea of the story was a handful of us, in a, us being a handful of uh, consultants that were writing. We were writing blogs or trying to use this concept of, of content marketing, which is that you share good information and people get to know, like, and trust you. But if you're only doing that yourself in writing even one article a week, uh, which does take time, as any of you that have tried writing know, uh, and are especially when it's on a weekly basis, is that takes time. And you have to get in a rhythm and, and sit down and have that schedule or discipline to actually write on a regular basis. And then the better your content, the more it actually is practical and useful and helpful, the more comments and feedback and, and return visitors you get and so on. And it grows. But doing that individually, as a handful of us noticed when we were talking about our various efforts to write, found that we were just invisible to Google. I mean, writing once a week, and even if it was the perfect content, the site itself doesn't have a lot of credibility and compared to, say, Wikipedia, for example. And so we just were on page 28 on search results and hence just not seen. And so the idea was, well, what if, you know, four or five of us got together and we had an article posted every day and we just put it all on the same site. Now we have a steady stream of content. We're not always on the hook to always write every week, which took a little burden off. Um, and, but we would steadily have content. And the other benefit was that if some of the audience coming to see what I'm writing about, if they would, oh, what's, you know, what's Larry writing about? Let me go check that out. Oh, that's an interesting title. Let me see what that is about. I think we just published our 324th, I think, weekly update. Because very quickly, we found that, well, we wanted email addresses. Um, maybe that's what we're charging people for is not monetary, but a little bit of uh, attention and permission to be in their inbox and what were we going to send them. So on a weekly basis, we'll take what's new on the site. What are the new articles? What are the new podcast episodes? What's the new webinars? What's, you know, handful of different bits of information. And we would send that in a weekly newsletter. So we've been doing that 320 plus weeks now. And it's a, a testament to how much content is showing up on the site from a, at this point, 
We've had over 40 different contributors at one point or another. I think there's 20 or 22 active right now. And I just in the last couple of weeks, there's about seven new contributors coming on board and they're excited about their content as that gets going. But the, the original idea was that, well, it's a site with multiple voices and multiple ideas and different ways of solving similar problems. And with the overarching guide that it's practical, useful, and helps people move forward. Now, it's different than Udemy or EDX, uh, which are courses generally. And, but it's sim, I should say it's similar to Udemy and EDX because there's multiple voices. There's multiple organizations and individuals contributing content to those sites. Um, EDX is free. Udemy is, doesn't cost a, a whole lot. Yet they don't really cover reliability stuff. EDX has had some really nice basic statistics courses and had a few really nice data analysis courses. And there's a handful of reliability and quality related courses these days on Udemy, but that's rare that, that it's really, they're not focused on reliability engineering and they don't need to be. They're wide open platforms that talk about all kinds of things from macrame to candle making to uh, hard sciences and everything in between. Now, conferences, uh, I think RAMS is coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's, it's a great place to go to get lots of papers, to meet lots of people, to, to rub shoulders with lots of people, but it's once a year. And outside of that, there's a lot of work that goes into creating the papers and the technical presentations and the, and the workshops and tutorials and everything else, but it's only once a year. And we move too fast for that. We need answers today. And so part of the idea was the, um, when I was with uh, the reliability division, one of the most common questions we got was how do I pre best prepare for the CRE exam? Well, the best way to prepare is actually do really good engineering work where you're working. So you get to use all of these various tools and become very familiar with them, which is great, right? Yet, where do I learn that stuff? Well, the conference happens once a year. You can get a, a, a bit of it there each year, or you could take some courses, right? If it's scheduled, if it's in your area, if it fits your timeline, if your company will pay for it, you know, if it's important enough, you'll go make that happen. But there wasn't, how do I, what's the formula for the upper and lower control limits on a X bar S chart? I don't need to wait it six months or a couple of weeks to go to a conference and hope somebody has a paper on that or take a course that's going to cover every aspect of SBC, but I only want that one formula. Well, where's a place that you can find that in similar type questions. And so that part of the mission is to, to create that site, to make that happen. Now, universities, you know, you're going to get a great education and a broad range of courses. And some are more academic and some are more theoretical and some are very practical and some are focused on, uh, I think on Ascendo, we've listed like 15 or 20 different university programs and each has a slightly different approach to what they do. Uh, but that's quite a commitment if you just have a handful of questions or you want to 
become aware of what's going on in the industry. And so the mission takes a little bit from each of these different parts of the world of how we do professional development and makes it a, a bit more casual. It makes it a lot more accessible and helps you find the information. And if you don't find it directly, just ask. There's contact forms and email addresses all over the site. And we do get questions just about every day and multiple questions many days uh, of what's a good approach to this? How, what's the right way to sort out sample size for XYZ situation? How do I approach my boss to do this? The questions span the gamut. But if you send a question to EDX, it's unlikely you're going to get a, a quick, meaningful answer. And each of these have different uh, pluses and minuses, but we're a little bit different than all of those. All right, so back to that idea that we do better together, right? And together we're learning. And the idea is, is that if there's regular steady content that's good, practical, and meaningful and helpful, then the site gets found more. People come to the site because they know, like, and trust the site and its many contributors, and they can find information that they're looking for. Google notices that and then sends you, uh, sends more people to the site because they get the impression, rightfully so, I believe, that the site is actually useful for people that are looking for the types of questions that bring people to the site. The other day I was looking at the uh, Google Analytics. There's 182 pages that rank at the top of the listing if you search for some key phrase that's related to that particular article. Now there's thousands of con pieces of content. Not every page or article or episode ranks really well, but a good number of them really do. And it always amazes me is what, what does rank so high and, and some of the highest trafficked uh, content is why I mentioned the SPC control chart uh, upper lower limits is an article that talks about how to calculate an XBARS chart it ranks really well and gets a lot of traffic uh, for risk management strategies. A very simple article listing four different ways you can think about risk management. It gets thousands of visits every month and has for years. I really don't know why, but Google likes it. People that visit that page tend to stay on it and follow the links off to other places and do all kinds of other good stuff, which is all great. But as the site grows, it gets more trust. And it, the trust is in the site and in its contributors. So the contributors get more traffic and comments and engagement, and it encourages them to write some more. Now, as I've noticed over the last couple of months, is that's getting noticed and more and more people are saying, hey, how can I be a contributor there? How can I join this conversation? And so hopefully that continues as a virtuous circle. Now, how sustainable that is over the long term, I don't know. But right now, it seems to be working and taking off all by itself. And so it's, it's exceeded 
the expectations that I had some five, 10 years ago for this. All right, so what do you think? Let me take a look at the, some of the comments. Uh, agree with the assessment of societies and business models. Yeah, you know, I don't think that was the original idea of professional societies. I thought it was, you know, let's get together and share our, what we're doing well, what questions we have, look for the networking types of uh, connections we have at evening meetings or at comp, you know, uh, through the newsletters that the societies would provide, put out. But somewhere along the line, they built a, a shiny building someplace and they found out they had to pay money to keep it, keep it going. And so it really turned into a, you know, a business uh, uh, process where they had to create money to pay for the building that they built and not necessarily in service of uh, their members. And once that gets disconnected, it's really hard for them to get back. And so rather than try to fix it, well, we'll just create our own site. We can do that. Yeah, seeing a couple of comments of the content is curated. Yeah, the LinkedIn groups, you never know what you're gonna get there. And half the times, if they're not monitored real closely, they're just flat out ads. Um, yeah, the weekly updates, I, I mean, at first it was just the, a way to bring some light to the range of different articles and content that was being put up every week. I think recently we've been doing 10 articles and 10 episodes a uh, handful of other items that are in there, but the content's pretty, uh, uh, well, it just keeps coming and there's lots more to learn, a lot more to read about. But I find what I hear from folks is that they'll go through that list uh, like an index basically and saying, oh, that catches my eye. Let me read through that a little bit. Let me take a look at that. And, and But others are saying, oh, you know, I should write about that. That's a similar topic to something I'm interested in. Maybe I should go work on that. Or, you know, this is an interesting idea, or I never thought of that. I get comments like that about the weekly update. And I think that's the idea, is that part of our professional development is learning what we don't know we don't know. And so this inadvertently, it wasn't the, the intent when we started it, but it's turned into a way to be aware of the larger scope of what we do in reliability engineering. There's no way I could have written that myself or even planned to do that, but it, I'm getting more and more feedback that that's part of what that process is, is this weekly catalog of content of different thoughts and ideas and processes and procedures uh, is is providing a steady awareness of the range of different tools and activities that are going on. All right, so the business model. Um, you know, business model is probably not even the right phrase for it, but that, since that's the way I get asked that question, um, that's what I'll answer. But what we're really trying to do is content marketing. And the idea of content marketing, from the way I understand it, is that as you provide good, practical, useful information that people can go execute 
calculate the limits on their confidence and their and their control chart or estimate a sample size or does this Weibull curve look right and ways to assess that and get those kinds of questions answered that they can go do something different today or improve what they're doing today that that allows the reader or the listener to know who you are and how you go about solving problems and how you approach different challenges and tasks and how do you uh, find a new position, for example, or whatever the, you're writing about or talking about. The listener or the visitor gets to know you. And if that resonates, if it's a regular, useful content, practical, useful content, people tend to like that. I know I do when I find a resource, whether it's on how to do training content, or if it's on um, presentation skills or on data analysis skills or statistics, the ones that are useful, that resonate with me, that they help me understand an issue or solve a problem, I like those, right? And over time, then I trust them. I trust that person and I trust that site. For years and years and years, I would go to Bible.com because I knew a bunch of those people there, but they also wrote just detailed um, documents about how the data was analyzed, the formulas and the procedures and the techniques that was behind their software. But it was written by, here's everything you wanted to know and a lot you didn't know you needed to know about say the Weibull distribution or the log normal distribution, the exponential distribution and so on. How do you determine goodness of fit? When do you use uh, a, a least squares type of, of process versus a, a maximum likelihood type process? They answered and talked about a lot of that stuff. And part of it was, is that then other than, you know, push this button, you get a graph. It was, here's what this graph means. So I got to really trust that software because I had a sense of how it worked and how detailed the thought process was that went into it. Was it perfect software? No, but it had this difference than a handful of the other other software vendors are out there that didn't write about these things, didn't provide this kind of content. And so it was a difference. And so the idea of content marketing is that providing good practical content allows people to know, like, and trust you. And at that point, the trusted people come back. They might, and I found this when I was at Hewlett Packard and I learned it from Dick Moss is that we had a, a discussion forum, an email list that you could ask questions and you would get an answer. And it was usually by multiple people on the list that would provide usually really good answers. And what we found is that if we help people always get an answer and get good information, that, that, that discussion forum was the, the place to go ask questions because you knew you were gonna get a good answer. Now, for every hundred questions that was asked there, one or two of those would turn into a, a small project. And where I was working at Hewlett Packard, we were in a corporate group, but we were basically consultants inside the company. So we had to have projects at some point. But the biggest projects we got started as just free questions 
help people find answers. Then there would be one or two small projects that wouldn't take very much and didn't cost a whole lot. And then a fraction of those people would turn into those great big projects that would turn into what paid the bills for our organization, for the group I was in. But if, when I started tracing those, and it was the same thing Dick Moss said, is that people need to know you first before they're going to engage you and, and buy your book or take your course or hire you as a consultant. And so the idea with content marketing is to provide great information that allows people to know I like, can trust you, then they will decide to work with you, right? It's not because we sent some great sales copy. It's not because we strong-armed them into buying our, our software. It's because we've built a relationship with these potential clients or potential uh, customers such that they felt good about doing a transaction with us. And so the idea is content marketing. It is not banner ads, definitely not banner ads. So the overall idea, when I'm, and I roll this back from our business model back to what's the values, what are we kind of guiding principle here? Well, number one is be a service, right? And and I think it was Greg Hutchins in conversations over the years, he would often say at some point, so how can I be a service to you? How can I help you? And it was genuine. It, was, it wasn't a sales gimmick or anything else. We were talking regularly and, and enjoying our conversations and debating the future of quality and all kinds of other things. But we both had similar websites. This is more on risk and risk management type stuff and has a, 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 a stable full of regular contributors to the site. And we share ideas and resources on a regular basis. But part of it is this genuine, how can I help you? How can I help you do your job better so that you're more successful in whatever way that makes sense? And so when it comes back to Ascendo, it goes back to what Dick Moss and I talked about oh, almost 30 years ago now, is make sure that when somebody has a question, that's an, a sense of vulnerability for many engineers to say, hey, I'm not really sure how to do this, or what's the right resource for this, or how can I learn more about this, is make sure they get an answer, make sure they get a response. And sometimes that takes prompting the appropriate people to do it, but it's also, not a opening for a sales pitch. You don't have to pay to ask a question on Ascendo. And, and the intent is that you will get an answer and it won't come with a sales pitch. It's, you need an answer? Let's, I, I happen to know this, or I know somebody that knows this, let's make sure you get a good answer and then move forward. That's the idea of what I mean by be of service right? If there's somebody comes and says, hey, I need 200 hours of your time over the next couple of months. Well, be upfront. Well, that's a project, right? That's different than a, a, a question that it take me 10, 15 minutes to answer or to find somebody that can answer it or guide you to a particular article that answers the question. Yeah, there's a we're not going to give away everything. We don't have time to do that and keep the lights on. 
But basically, if you got a question, you're probably going to get an answer, right? If it's going to take a PhD thesis effort of level of effort to do it, well, then we need to talk money because that's beyond a quick question. That's beyond a simple, where do I go next? How can I learn this myself? If you want us, to, you want a consultant to do it, at some point they're going to say, you know, we got to charge you for that. And so to be clear on that. So as the site is developed, I wanted it to be different than a trade magazine, and I wanted it to be different than a professional society. So no banner ads, no paid uh, promotional pieces um, on the site. Uh, you know, every day I get uh, uh, rela public relations companies and content and marketers are call are emailing saying, "Hey." How much does it cost to place uh, an article on your site? I am writing all about how to exercise now that it's the new year. I must have got six of those messages this morning from different groups. They never looked at Ascendo. They don't know, they don't hadn't realized that we don't offer exercise advice. Right. Now, if you're talking about how to make a Peloton more reliable, yeah, that might be an interesting article. But you know, selling a, a, a quick diet fad type idea article really doesn't fit with Ascendo. So, but, but they're in the game of just paying to place their article and their links on other sites. Like, no, no, we're not doing that. The other part is email and email lists and so on is it's, it's used strictly as intended to let you know there's an article up or the weekly, uh, the monthly uh, um, webinar listing. Here's what's coming up next month for webinars. Here's the weekly rundown of what's new on the site. And I don't know that other than like for the webinar, it's automated, you get reminders. Um, I don't know that we, not selling them, not giving them away, not you know doing all these other things with it. Um, we really try to lock down that you won't get spammed by some ad marketing folks because we're not selling that. We're not doing that. The oh, what's the other? So there's email. Um, advertising on the site, staying away from that. We did explore uh, being sponsored, a couple of sponsored uh, podcast stuff, and they just never really clicked either for the audience or for, for the contributors to people putting these things together. It just didn't fit with the style of the site. And, and so we shied away from doing that. And we get offers for paid promotional stuff, but nah, we just don't do that. Um, I don't think it's necessary. Um, and you've all been to sites that have pop-ups and slide overs and flashing doohickeys and stuff. And luckily that's really gone, been found out to not be terribly useful. So you don't see as much as you used to, but some sites within the reliability world still do that. And it's, I wish they'd move on. All right. The free part of the site, 
I just thought this was a cool image. I thought I take since I was looking at uh, people with glasses. Well, this is just kind of cool, different. The free stuff is intended to do that uh, mission. It's provided practical, useful content over a wide range of topics related to reliability engineering and our related disciplines and in podcasts and webinars. But the idea is, is that those are all free. They're free for contributors to put it up, to contribute to the site. It's free for people to visit those. And the intent is, is that virtuous circle is the good, practical, useful content that can be readily found and accessed without much of any to do to other than wading through uh, the Google search allows people to get find the site, find good content, get to know us, get to know those contributors, and then build that trust. And so that's the free part. Now, the membership site part of the site it's been a long experiment and I'm, I'm fading away from it because it was the intent was, is to make it a velvet rope, that there is some benefit to signing up and becoming a member. And there are some eBooks and other resource pages and webinar recordings and a handful of other bits and bobs that, that are only available to members. Now membership is free, so it's still just free content. But what it does is it says, it gives us a, a tally of how many people are logging into the site. What are they interested in? What are the types of things that people are, are finding? I get, it's a mechanism for us to find email. And in the weekly newsletter and on the website, we often run a, a survey or a, a poll. And it's a way for us to, to get to know the audience more so that we can make changes and look for different uh, aspects of what we're doing and make improvements. And so between the membership access and the email list type things, it allows us to understand the audience a bit more so we can continue to make improvements. We're also looking at Google Analytics, which is in the background, looking at how many people visit a particular article per day and so on, those kinds of things. But those are all free which is the vast majority of the content on the site. I think we're up over 2,500 articles or posts and over 1,700 um, uh, podcast episodes. And we're just adding a couple more podcasts this week uh, that I'm very excited about. And a handful of new articles are being, uh, series are being added. Um, so these numbers are just steadily gonna continue to, to, to grow and continue to provide great info. And the paid part of the site, um, because we do have to pay fees to keep the website running. And, and I pay for uh, the podcasts and the webinars are large file sizes and, and lots and, of, of downloads and movement of data. So we use AWS, uh, Amazon's AWS S3 system as a pretty cost-effective way to quickly deliver this content. And so courses that are on the site are also large file sizes. I think the site is close to 15 terabytes, not terabytes, which, yeah, 15, yeah, I think Terra is the right word. It's a, the one above billion. <laughs> Um, 
we've got a lot of content on the site and a lot of video in the courses and in the webinars and a lot of uh, uh, audio files and the podcast uh, and some of the courses and lots and lots of PDFs and uh, articles and content uh, images and supporting those content. And so we quickly ran out of space on, on the server and it slowed the site way down. So we, we offloaded a large part of the, the large files to AWS and that's like 50 bucks a month right now. The site has its own fees uh, to maintain the host. The, um, there's a bit of security that goes on it to make sure the site stays active and words off denial of service and other types of uh, uh, attacks that it sees. So it, there's a handful of costs that uh, does take a little bit of money and that's not counting anybody's time by any means. Luckily, my wife helps a lot with the, the promotion of the articles and newsletters and stuff like that. Um, but we end up spending quite a bit of time just maintaining and updating the site. Um, and so we need to make some money to offset these costs. So if you are on the site and you see a book, um, it almost always has an Amazon link to it. And we have an affiliate relationship with Amazon such that we get a small commission if you go ahead and buy that book or buy something else within, I think within an hour or two hours, or whenever you visit that. Uh, if you click through to Amazon from the site, we get a small commission. And some of the courses like Nancy Reagan's course is she hosts on her own site and we have an affiliate relationship with her where we get a referral fee. So if somebody buys that course coming from Ascendo, we get credit for that. Um, the Ray Harkins has got, I think he's up to five courses now. They're on Udemy. And again, we get a, a commission for those. He, he puts a affiliate tracking link uh, on the site that then recognizes when they somebody clicks through from Ascendo. And if you buy the site or buy the course, then we get a commission. But Ray and Nancy don't have to pay us to list their course. It's free to get listed. But if you want to be promoted, then there's that referral fee. Right, the, the calendar lists all this stuff for the ones that are scheduled. But to be listed under the courses, um, we ask for a referral. So that if you end up selling something because somebody is coming from Ascendo, then we get a commission. And, and so that's been working rather well. Now we also have a couple of courses directly on Ascendo and I'm hoping to add more. Uh, I've been saying that for years, but it's more difficult than I thought it would be. But we're, the courses that are hosted on Ascendo depending on how much work we're doing on Ascendo or where, where it was uh, uh, founded, um, it, the, the referral fee or the fees that come to Ascendo um, varies. Um, the CRE prep course, which is my own course, I obviously then keep 100% of that. And it does well so that it helps really pay for the site and keeps it going. And only have to sell a handful of courses for that to actually work. The courses by Stephen Wax, we did a lot of the production work and hosting of those courses. So we get a significant uh, referral fee for those ones. Now, the ones that I really have vague and only anecdotal evidence is the consulting part. Remember this content marketing is no like and trust. And part of that 
is that if you really know, like, and trust that particular vendor or author or consultant, you might do business with them. And over the last couple of years, I know that we've generated for the or a handful of consultants that I'm aware of, and that I'm not aware of all of the business that may have come through their exposure through Ascendo. It's been a, in and a range of about a half million dollars a year. Now we don't always get and rarely get a commission through those because if you really know somebody and you call them directly, I wouldn't know that. The Ascendo wouldn't know that. That's okay. The part of the idea of this virtual circle is, is that this content marketing works if we've got good solid content. And, and so if it's beneficial to the contributors, then there's an encouragement for them to continue to contribute meaningful, practical content. And so the idea of this all ships rise with the tide is great, but the site is not a clearinghouse for consultants. It's not its purpose. The purpose is to be of service. And that's really the gist of what we're trying to do here. All right. So let me take a look at some of the questions. I know I covered a ton of info about the site. Hopefully all that made sense or didn't sound too repetitive. Let's see. I see people in, a, in our field talking about the secret approach. Yeah, there's, there's been a raft of consultants that have their own technique or their own proprietary approach, whatever. And you break it down a little bit and go, oh, you're doing data analysis with a Weibull curve. Wow, why do you call it the imperious method or something? It sounds so mysterious. Or what was the one? Um, there's a handful of folks that were suggesting they could do a halt test and do a parts count prediction on your on your electronics board and give you a time to failure distribution or expected lifetime or reliability estimates from that. And then when querying them about it beyond the claims, well, what supports that? How do you know this? Well, we can't tell you that's trade secret. Well, it doesn't lend a lot of credibility uh, to the technique. We are an engineering and, and scientific method based, you know, type people in, in this field. And uh, trust me, it's secret. Yeah, yeah, I really don't have much time for that. Um, yeah, and I agree with you, Keith, you know, yeah, we need to make a living, we need to keep the lights on. Uh, and keep our, our uh, K95 mass uh, handy and things like that. But I think there's a great way of doing that by just helping other people. And what goes around comes around has been a long time philosophy of my own. Uh, and it's not unique to me by any means, but I found that it works, that the people that are truly in service to others tend to do well. And and, and it's just, um, the comments and feedback I get from the site on a regular basis of how much of a difference it's making for folks. That's rewarding. That's why we do this. Um, so, and Larry's asking about the publication and web maintenance so you can help. Yeah, I, I've been working on a, like a contributor's guide, you know, how to set up stuff. And there's some practical things, um, just to get a, a content on the site. And I know Larry, we've been 
uh, going back and forth with some of the uh, Latin characters and words particularly notorious of not really respecting the ASCII uh, um, uh, format for characters. Um, and sometimes it's just a difference in fonts that are being used, those kinds of things that doesn't translate well. But there's practical ones on just getting the, the, the um, characters on the screen in the right order and images in the you know, appropriate size and, and formats and so on. But there's also the content marketing of titles and subtitles and, and the, the craft of writing. Uh, then there's another one about how do you write something that does well with the search engines? How does it, how do you craft something so that Google and the other search engines know what it's about so they can match it up to the people's questions or queries that are being made appropriately? And then there's a whole, another level of what, what are you trying in the writing or in the podcast, what are you trying to achieve for your listener or for your reader? Are you trying to move them from one spot to another? What kind of questions are you trying to form them? So I won't say I'm even halfway through with a style guide for that, but it's, a, it's in the works. And I, I do expect to put that up on the site and share it with all the contributors. The publication part is pretty simple. We found that if you publish between three and four in the morning, West Coast time, it hits the East Coast just as they're starting their day, hits their inbox, um, which is where the bulk of the audience is, is along the East Coast of the US for all kinds of reasons, but it's around the world. But that's when we decide to publish and have surveyed it a number of times and find that the biggest open rates are when we do that. First thing in the morning, um, Diane um, sits down and looks at what's new today and then puts it out on LinkedIn, puts it out on Twitter, uh, shares it a handful of times in those two platforms over the next over the coming week, and then also adds it into the weekly um, uh, newsletter. And that goes out on Sunday afternoon. And and every now and then we feature somebody in the newsletter or we'll do some extra promotion one way or the other, but it's pretty streamlined um, by and large. Uh, the easiest thing uh, in the whole process is focus on writing good content that makes a point that's useful and practical. And the rest of it just kind of happens at this point. Although I know Diane some days spends more time than others making this all work. Um, and then it's as you get questions or as you get comments, um, respond to them, help people get answers. And, and those two parts, write good content or you know, create good uh, podcast episodes and answer questions, help people along. That's really the, the, our, the, the gist of what we're trying to do on the site. Let's see. All right. Well, ac actually went over a couple minutes here. Thanks for sticking around. Let's see what else I have on here. But that's the the idea, mission or the vision, mission, and uh, business model for Ascendo. Hopefully that all makes sense. And if you do have any questions, um, I'll stick around. Uh, once I end the recording here, I'll stick around if there's anything else coming up. Uh, or you can just, as always, just drop us a line, get in touch, and we'd be happy to, to talk things through. So with that, 
have a great rest of the Tuesday.